Hello and welcome to No Direction's official PaizoCon 2019 seminar coverage in partnership with Paizo. Our coverage would not be possible without the help of our con staff, Paizo, and our patrons. Find more seminar recordings at nodirectionpodcast.com. Hi there everybody, welcome to the uh, Pathfinder AP Q&A panel. Uh, I'm Ron Lundin, a Pathfinder developer at uh, Paizo. And I'm Patrick Reaney, also a uh, AP developer. Sweet. Um, so if, uh, if you guys have a little bit of a hard time seeing us, if the camera lens seems a little bit cloudy, it's because the room is going to be so thick with spoilers <laughs> in this panel <laughs> that you'll gain the slowed one condition. Oh, ah, second uh, edition joke. We just started. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's it. I wanted to start out by giving a uh, sort of an overview of where we're at with the Adventure Path line. Um, we are in the middle of Tyrant's Grasp, which is the last first edition adventure path. Um, and one of the things that we have, one of the things that we decided with second edition fairly early on, when we weren't going to skip ahead or in time or make any uh, uh, dramatic um, spell plaguey type updates to our uh, to our world, but our last um, our last. Uh, Gazetteer of the Whole World, uh, the Inner Sea World Guide, came out 10 years ago. And we've had several adventure paths since then. What, what happened to the world uh, in the meantime is the result of those adventure paths. So you've got, in some cases, some new nations that have cropped up, new leaders that have uh, popped up in different parts of the, uh, the world. Um, and frankly, a lot of those are the outcome of certain adventure paths. We didn't decide to say, okay, every adventure path was an unqualified success, or we didn't want to say every any adventure path was just an outright failure. But what we wanted to do was, all right, if it was a success, how might that be a springboard to adventure? Uh, for example, with Wrath of the Righteous, the whole point is to close up the world wound. Uh, the world wound is in, is in fact closed in second edition, but that doesn't mean all the demons went away. There's still a lot of problems in the region that's now known as the Sarkoris Scar. Um, uh, the uh, so th you'll find examples like that throughout. But what it means is we have a real impact that the adventure paths have on our world. Uh, the only one of those that we engineered intentionally going into it was our last first edition adventure path because we knew for second edition we wanted the Whispering Tyrant to be a much bigger deal. He's like, I mean, the guy's on the cover of our Inner Sea World Guide, <laughs> but he's been locked away for 900 years. Uh, so in our last adventure path, our last adventure path is about what happens when the Whispering Tyrant gets free so he can be positioned as a strong force of evil in the new world. Um, and so the Tyrant's Grasp adventure path from the beginning is not one of those, here's the bad guy, by the end you fight the bad guy type of adventure paths. It was terrible things are happening and you need to survive them and mitigate them. So it's sort of a survival horror type of, uh, type of adventure path. Um, we're in the middle of that. I've seen Garden, Gardens of Gallaspire, which is the fourth one, uh, is out. Born by the Sun's Grace is not out yet. I think that's going to be very popular because that one is uh, takes place uh, uh, entirely within the nation of Arcadia, which we've never been to in an adventure path uh, before. And uh, there's a gazetteer in the back, double-length gazetteer, about not all of Arcadia, but one big nation that's significant in Arcadia. Uh, in which the adventure set. The 
sixth and final of Tyrant's Grass, Midwives to Death, um, do, does in fact have a dramatic confrontation with the, uh, the Whispering Tyrant, but the, but the goal is not what you might expect it to be. The players are positioned in a way where they're trying to weaken him, deny him a super weapon. There's, it doesn't come in with a, you know, roll initiative, let's beat the bad guy. There's, there's more that's sort of built up around it. Um, one of the exciting things about this last first edition Adventure Path, Midwives to Death, is that instead of the usual Adventure Path back matter of how you continue the campaign, because you do, it's called Second Edition Pathfinder, <laughs> um, or any new monsters that are in there, what we've done is we've taken the entire 28 page, um, 28 pages that will be devoted to back matter, and given each of the developers that we had at, at the time, sort of a two page spread to say, here's the last thing you can do for First Edition. What do you, what do you want to put in there? Um, and it's uh, it ranges again what people want to do. I, l I love adventures, so in my two-page spread, I managed to fit an entire adventure for 16th level characters. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but people have had, um, like Eric Mona put in the, the updated and latest and greatest stats for his character, Ostog the Unslain. Um, uh, Owen Casey Stevens, who's a big fan of dwarves, put together uh, all of the obediences and paladin code and everything for followers of Angrad, which is one of the dwarven gods, which you won't have seen before. Um, there are some new monsters, uh, a new prestige class. Um, Mike Sayer, uh, realizing that I gave, I gave people sort of the themes of the Tyrant's Grass Adventure Path, so I tie in a little bit. He came up with the... Uh, um, the Mortal Usher Prestige class, which is somebody who's tied their fates to psychopomps very closely, and they get psychopomp-like abilities as they uh, as they go up in level. Um, he, there, there was some his 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 desire, which you didn't get, was to have the the illustration with that be Damiel, like the last appearance of our alchemist Damiel, be like, and he's been ushered off <laughs> beyond <laughs> beyond the world. But not only did that not art not make it in, but we actually have had I think Damiel showing up in some others. Damiel's still around yeah, that guy, even though he's not our iconic alchemist thing. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you have anything that you want to say about that? Because I know you developed oh, all yeah. those. Oh yeah. Welcome I, back to Paizo. Yeah. Develop all your peers' yeah. work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. No pressure, right? Yeah. Uh, no. It was. Uh, yeah. It's uh, really exciting to see what uh, you know. Every developer has their own niche, their own passion, their own interest in the world. We all have, you know, our favorite regions or characters, and it's really exciting to be able to, you know, just have free reign and say, you know, what do you, what's the last thing you want to do for first edition, and you know, what rule uh, rock have you do you want to turn over? What uh, you know, what part of the world do you want to look a little bit more at? Uh, it's just really exciting to see so much personality in in, in packed into uh, you know 28 pages is just. You know, thing after thing after thing that shows uh, what our developers are passionate about, and it has a lot of the passion and personality that I think um, you know makes the the APs so strong in general. Yeah, one of the one of the things that's in there now that I think about is we, last year's PaizoCon was mm -hmm. concepting and designing a monster that, and Adam Daigle's submission was was that monster. So it's not that there's not a bestiary. It's a, in fact, this is the PaizoCon monster mm -hmm. that's in the last first edition uh, Adventure Path issue. You know what I'm about, so <laughs> the, uh, um, anyway, so from there, we're moving to second edition. We're starting the second edition Adventure Path, uh, which is Age of Ashes. Uh, that is a generally a sort of a draconic themed adventure path where we have a lot of a lot of travel all over the, the, the structure of the adventure path makes the PCs, even though they start in the nation of Isgur, go to several places all over the world. 
it was intentional from the beginning that we showcase the, the ancestries that are in second edition, that we go to places that we haven't gone to a lot, even if we're only going there for one adventure, for part of adventure, that we haven't been there before, to sort of show off the world, show off some new places of the world. Um, so the first adventure, we run, run, run through them quickly. So the first adventure that's gonna be out uh, is at Gen Con, I think it's Hellmite Hill, Age of Ashes number one, uh, written by uh, Amanda Hammond, um, where the, the as uh, Eric mentioned, Last night, oh, you're in this little little town called Breachel. It's always had this abandoned Hell Knight Citadel just on the uh, the edge of town. And then, oh, oh, hey, there's some strange activity going on at that Hell Knight Citadel. Well, why don't you why don't you guys go investigate it? Um, that leads into this sort of grand conspiracy that involves Dayhack, um, the evil dragon god, uh, which the PCs then follow up on. Adventure two on that, which is going to be out in September, would be or no, would be out in August, July, I, August, September, October, November, December. That's right. Eric mentioned the core rulebook being a August release. Right, even if out it's in August. July, so. But we're gonna finish by the end of, yeah. finish by the December. Uh, the second one, Cult of Cinders by uh, Eleanor Farron, um, is the PCs go to uh, uh, work with the Akuja Elves in the Mwangi Expanse. Uh, so it's a place we haven't been to before with sort of a, a uh, elven ethnicity that we haven't learned a lot about, and there's some exploration of that there. Um, the third adventure, Tomorrow Must Burn, by the exceptionally handsome and talented author Ron Lundin, um, <laughs> takes place in the new, the new nation of Ravenel. One of the things when the Hell's Rebels Adventure Path we established was that Ravenel is its own, its own independent nation. Uh, and that involves aiding the Bellflower Network against a slaver organization that's trying to pull on the old Cheliac sort of slave networks. Uh, and so that one's got the uh, the Ravenel, sort of a sort of a, a lot of halfling fun, which I which I like <laughs> a lot. Um, the uh, After that is uh, Fires of the Haunted City. Um, so piece of our uh, piece of our lore is that one of the uh, Dwarven Sky Citadels under the Five Kings Mountains um, uh, was besieged by orcs until everybody, all the dwarves within, uh, starved to death and died. And even once the orcs uh, retreated, one of the later dwarven kings who came back to sort of liberate the city found it chock full of undead. And is like, well, okay, no, 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 we're not, we're not, we're not going in there. We, we're gonna, we're not, we're not gonna be able to reclaim a city that's filled with dwarven undead. But that doesn't mean PCs don't end up going into a dwarven city filled with undead in, in pursuit of the uh, um, the organization that they're following and the uh, the events of the adventure path. So Fires of the Haunted City is in the dwarven city of Sagarak. Um, the Scarlet Triad is the name of the uh, sort of world-spanning slaver organization that the PCs are up against. Um, so the fifth adventure, which is, uh, oh, Fires of the Haunted City by Linda Zayas Palmer. Um, against the Scarlet Triad is the fifth adventure that's uh, uh, written by John Compton. Uh, it takes place in Katapesh. Um, initially, you start out with uh, helping to liberate a, a community of gnomes in order to get their assistance uh, to negotiate a lot of things going on in, in Katapesh. Um, that one in particular is kind of fun uh, because it's very, it's, it's high level, 15th through 17th level. And instead of being a focus on here's all the, the, the sort of fights that you can accomplish at that level, which is certainly a part of it, there's a lot of sort of intrigue-based stuff. And what can, what can high-level characters do in sort of intrigue-based situations, heist-based situations, things like that? Uh, the very last adventure, which takes characters all the way to 20th level, uh, is Broken Promises by Luis Loza. 
in a lot of ways, it sort of takes you back to the beginning because the town that you started in is is under attack, and it's stopping that and then putting an end to uh, to the threat, uh, concluding the adventure path with the bang. Um, so broken promises will be in in December. Um, from there, we go on to the announce last night. I was very excited about the uh, extinction curse adventure path. Um, do 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 do. <laughs> um, so. Um, when we get together in a group to concept some of these adventure paths, there's a lot of us in the room, a lot of creative people throwing a lot of ideas around. Um, and someone had mentioned what we've never really started an adventure path with a the circus comes to town sort of sort of festival thing. You start out in a little town, but the circus comes to your town. Somebody else almost immediately says, hey, what if you're in the circus that comes to town? We realize that there's a real advantage in tying the PCs to a traveling organization like a traveling circus, um, in that they have a reason other than just follow the thread of the adventure to go from place to place to place. It helps if there is a thread of adventure there to follow as well. But the way the overall structure of the Extinction Curse adventure path <coughs> is the PCs begin as members of this traveling circus. And in the very first adventure, the show must go on by Jason Tondro, it starts when the this 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 ragtag circus, the Circus of Wayward Wonders, who each of, each of whom has their own history and rivalries with other circuses on the island of Cortos and the Isle of Aaron, have finally come together to put on their first big show in this little <laughs> dinky town. And just as everything's about to start, the ringmaster's found murdered. And so the PCs are the ones who have to put on the show, make it go successfully, try to find out what happened to the ringmaster and bring the murderer to justice, sort of all at the same time. <laughs> um, we're going to have rules in there for you know how, how you run a circus, how you put on a successful circus performance. What that's going to do is it's going to lead to the PCs sort of being being in charge. They're being the ones who took charge. All the other circus performers see the PCs as sort of the ones that are leading the circus, and so they will uh, travel along with the circus in the way that the PCs go as they follow the investigations. Um, so it starts out with the show must go on by Jason Tondro. The second adventure, that Legacy of the Lost God by Jenny Jarzabski, is in uh, the city of Escadar, uh, which is on the Isle of Cortos, just uh, um, just north, uh, where the PCs are realizing that the learned a lot more about the Aeon Towers and the Aeon Orbs that uh, Aridan long ago stole from the uh, the uh, Zolgaths. Zolgaths, whom surface people call troglodytes, um, from down below, and learned that the troglodytes have come to the surface because they're really not happy about these things being stolen. If there were, in fact, um, uh, demon worshiping uh, these demon worshiping Zolgaths, if they were, in fact, more more reasonable sorts, they might try to steal these orbs back, maybe negotiate for their return. They're they're not those sorts of uh, Zolgaths. They want to destroy Aridan's legacy. They want to destroy these orbs. They're the only things that bringing life to the uh, to the island of uh, Isle of Cortos. Uh, Isle of Aaron, Starstone Isle, uh, which will sort of regress everything to a uh, to, to mere slime-covered rock um, and bring about an extinction over the uh, the islands of the Inner Sea. That's their goal. That's bad news. Uh, the PCs proceed to stop it as they investigate some of the other towers. The third adventure, Life's Long Shadows by Greg Vaughn, has them going all over the western part of the uh, Isle of Cortos in the area known as the Swordlands, which had for the longest time been the, been the breadbasket of, uh, of the Inner Sea, uh, certainly providing a lot of the food to the city of Absalom and some of the other communities. Um, 
but the but the bread basket is sort of drying up. You know, losing losing a lot of the uh, uh, abundant growth it once had, as it sort of every everybody knows well, things were better in our you know parents' time and even better in their parents' time. And you know, we sure sure hope things are going to get better someday, but they're not. They seem to be on a pretty pretty clear decline. The PCs have a way to arrest that. Unfortunately, the uh, the Zolgas aren't gonna aren't gonna stay uh, aren't gonna stay quiet for long. The fourth adventure uh, by Kate Baker is Siege of the Dinosaurs. Um, Zolgats are long, long known to have uh, dinosaur allies, minions they bring uh, in order to uh, to really focus specifically on um, one town uh, just north of the Swordlands. Um, we need to have dinosaur fort by then. What's that? We need to have dinosaur fort by then. Yeah. Dinosaur well, fort, yeah. the spell. Yeah, <laughs> <a good> idea. <laughs> they have their own dinosaur forts. Um, but uh, once the PCs sort of learn what's gone, what's gone on to such a degree that they need to go find out where these orbs came from, we go to the fifth adventure, Lord of the Black Sands by Miko Calio. One of our uh, long established uh, vaults that we have far beneath the surface of the earth is, the, is known only as the vault, uh, is known only as the vault of the Black Desert, um, which is occupied by undead drow and weird psychic vampires, and it is an irradiated blasted wasteland. It wasn't always, it was once very verdant, um, but the PCs need to travel there in order to find clues, which unfortunately the undead drow have found first. Um, and they need to make their way into the uh, um, city of Shrain in order to confront the, uh, the drow mummy that would make himself the lord of the Black Sands. Uh, once they come back to the surface, they can make them make, uh, take the, they've got all the tools they need to take the fight to uh, the, the Zolgath leader himself, Sarvel Everhunger. Um, and they do so in number six, uh, The Apocalypse Prophet by Liz Liddell. Um, this takes place in the uh, Kortos Mountains in the middle of the island. Um, and that's where the dramatic conclusion of the adventure takes place. It's sort of intentional throughout that the PCs are sort of moving their sort of circus around the island um, in several different places on the, uh, the uh, island, but they don't ever go, this, this adventure path doesn't ever go to the city of Absalom, very intentionally, right? We want to showcase how much adventure there is to be had even outside the walls of the city of Absalom. Um, so the uh, sort of the travel around is a, is a big part of it. Uh, sort of the circus theme throughout, their rival circuses, they're sort of working their uh, thing. A lot of the diplomatic aspects of the uh, of the adventure path, instead of being we're you know we're we're negotiators or diplomats, and that's how we want to talk to leaders or, or rulers. It's well, we're members of a circus putting on a performance, right, in order to uh, in order to get the influence we need. Um, but that's Extinction Curse. That's going to start in January 2020 and go till till Gen Con of 2020. Uh, that's what we have coming up in the adventure path line. That is. Ta da! Yep. Okay. Ta -da. <laughs> so from there, uh, questions, I think. Zerg Titan, for all the fans online, apparently I'm front row guy. Um, I sort of have two questions, and um, I'll just do one for now. Um, so with the uh, changes that have happened to second edition, uh, will we be seeing the original campaign traits become like campaign backgrounds? And if so, does that mean like the Extinction Curse is going to have us gain backgrounds for Carnival members? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, the way that we're doing campaign traits, the way that we had done before campaign traits, 
um, is now is fortunately is a baked in part of the system. The whole trait system came up in the advanced player's guide, so it wasn't something that was found in the core rulebook. If for second edition, the background system is right there in the core rulebook. And for each of our adventure paths, Age of Ashes included, uh, Extinction Curse especially, the, the player's guide is going to include new background traits that you can take. You don't have to, they work, they work just as well as the background traits that are in the core rulebook. And in fact, one of, the, one of the backgrounds in the core rulebook that is appropriate even if you don't ever even look at the Extinction Curse Player's Guide, you might take the Acrobat campaign background, which gives you the circus lore skill, mm -hmm. and that's right in the core rulebook. Um, but there are plenty of other backgrounds uh, as far as being um, clowns and aerialists and the um, and and even because we know not every character is going to want to be sort of a star performer even you know backgrounds for roustabouts and other sort of circus help if you're if you're if this is the sort of place where you're like well I, I like extinguishers I like the circus thing but I'm I want to play a fighter character, right? I don't necessarily want to be sort of somebody's out there taming lions or bending, you know, bending bars in front of people. Like I mean, there's a role for anybody in a circus, you know. If you're somebody who's you know pounding in the spikes, that's still an important part of the circus. It's still necessary for you to, to attach your livelihood to the circus and continue to follow along in the same way. guys uh questions from twitch you know the first question that popped up when you were talking back when you were talking about dragons was is there a dragon god of love just a little random mm. question dragon god of love yeah There's i don't two. think so a pretty sweet metal band name but that's right <laughs> <laughs> there will be now yeah. <laughs> somebody's gonna start that there are two dragon gods in the pathfinder mythos i mean every kind of culture within pathfinder world has its own creation story and the dragons are no exception they have the story of apsu the uh good dragon god uh the first one and dayhawk and uh i'm the the lore is uh, full of lore, so I'm probably not going to get it 100% right, but it's a uh, it, it's kind of a story that explains the rift between chromatic and metallic dragons. Uh, you know, uh, the the chromatic dragons being the evil ones, they were kind of spawned from shards of Dayhawk, uh, who in turn was some manifestation of Apsu, uh, you know, gone wrong. Uh, so Apsu would uh, promote love for sure. Is that one of her uh, domains or uh, you know areas of interest in her portfolio? Probably not explicitly, but um, yeah, who doesn't like love? There you go. <laughs> Dayhack. Dayhack yeah, does yeah, not yeah, like that's love. Right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> and just to confirm, I think they they sort of chatted with each other and confirmed. But the the AP Age of Ashes should start at first and should go all the way to 20th. That's right. That's and correct. Uh, uh, the Extinction Curse is the same. It's going to yeah. start at first level, mm -hmm. go all the way to 20th. That should be standard operating procedure yep. for APs yep. going forward. Oh. Yeah. yeah. We, and we had, let me, let me go, into, go into that a little bit more. We had, the way that we had structured our adventure paths in the past is that over the six volumes, we had a certain number of pages, and those pages were enough to have a story that goes from first level to about 15th, 16th, or 17th levels. Um, somewhere along, and that was very typical for our adventure paths, and I think somewhere along the line, some people got the impression that that meant that we at Paizo, we didn't like the high levels, that we were somehow afraid of the high levels in our own game. That's, that's not true. So what we started doing actually in um, the second to life, the penultimate first edition adventure path, is we, we got rid of some of the back matter. Uh, in order to make sure we had enough pages for the adventure to have uh, uh, Return of the Rune Lords go all the way from first to 20th level. 
that that worked, and so we've, we've sort of redesigned the back matter to be more flexible, to give us more pages that we need, whatever, however many pages we need to have all the adventure paths go all the way from first level to 20th level. Mm -hmm. um, I, one of the things that uh, I, I, uh, I think is going into the, the Broken Promise as the last Age of Ashes is, is alternate capstone abilities for each of the classes as well. So once you've gotten up to the 20th level, you get to do stuff with what could be a choice out of the core rulebook or a special choice from from that campaign. I, in a, anecdotally, since I'm standing here next to the mic, I think I remember, uh, was Jason or Eric saying that they really want people to be able to find unique sort of class features by going through certain, certain adventures. There's certain things that you'll be able to get because you went on this adventure mm -hmm. or were a part of this AP that are unique to that adventure. Absolutely. Yeah, that comes and in that, and that new rules, right? Yeah, so, yeah. And that capstone might be a similar thing. Absolutely, yeah. One of our main focuses uh, for, you know, each each adventure path in first edition did have like sidebars with new items or new feats, you know, that players might get. Uh, but we're really focusing in on that for second edition and tying the adventure path into the player's progression. So a character who plays through Age of Ashes by the end of it will not look like a character who plays through Extinction Curse because they'll have gotten, you know, dragon, you know, weapons made of dragon bones or armor that's specially against dragons, things that are tied into the uh, the lore and the story of the adventure path itself. It's kind of like um, so it's almost like putting the uh, a player companion material that, you know, for instance, um, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, you know, if, if we had Undead, Undead Slayer's Handbook and that would tie in perfectly to, you know, uh, the uh, Whispering Tyrant Adventure Path, mm -hmm. then, uh, you know, we've kind of uh, just put that stuff that would have been in the Player Companion and put it in the uh, Adventure Path itself so the GM can uh, dole it out as the players go. They don't need to refer to a separate book. They can just say, well, at this point you appeased, you know, this certain um, uh, elf or something like that. She's willing to offer, you know, to train you in this archetype, uh, for instance. So you're, you're able to unlock things and gain access to things that, uh, that are thematically appropriate and augment the, the Adventure Path. I think that what that does is it lets us expand the rewards that we give in the adventure path. So it's not all right. Well, in uh, tomorrow must burn, right? You help the you help the bellflower network in addition to any sort of what would normally be here's sort of a monetary reward. It's and here's a here's a whole bunch of abilities that are sort of related to sort of escaping slavery, freeing slaves, so on, so on. In which the players are like, well, yeah, we're trying to go up against this evil slaver organization. That's super helpful for us. So. And those might not necessarily like make sense in their own product. Like we we might not do a thirty-two page book on Bellflower Network, for instance. So it allows us to hone in on very specific elements that are related to the adventure. It allows us to get really specific and um, niche in a in a cool way. I think. Yeah, uh, with the idea that if you took if you just found a if you found laying on the ground, I don't know because people mm -hmm. leave them on the ground. A character sheet for twenty level fighter, mm -hmm. and you picked up. You could tell by looking at it, like, oh, this is a fighter who went through extinction curse, obviously, right? Even without the player there to tell you anything about it, or this is one who went through H. Mm -hmm. They'll look very different because of all the rules options. That are <coughs> uh, another question from uh, Twitch. Uh, more about the Aeon Towers. Can you explain a bit more about what sure. those are? Um, so. Let's let's say that you are a let's say you're a super powerful god of humanity and you want a place for humanity to thrive. Rather than, you know, have any pick any pick favoritism to any existing city, what you're going to do, you're going to go to the middle of the the middle of the uh, inner sea and rise up this island 
and that's where humanity is going to live in the greatest city the world has ever known. You're going to wait. So you do that. You go raise up the island. Um, you actually raise up two. You raise up the main island, then you raise one sort of special for your own priests, just a little bit north. The Isle of Aaron um, was originally sort of set apart for Aridan's priests. You raise them up for the island. You feel good about that, except they're just covered with slime. And they, don't, <laughs> they don't have any sort of capacity to support life because you just raise them up from the bottom of the sea. So you go looking around. I go, how am I going to give life to these, uh, these islands? And way beneath the surface, you find a, uh, uh, an underground uh, vault uh, named Vask. Vask is considered a sacred place to the Zolgas, the troglodytes that live there. And there are these six hovering orbs that are sort of giving life to uh, the underground vault of Vask. Um, so you decide you're just going to take those, but you're not super greedy. You're only going to take five of the six of them because one ought to be enough. You know, <laughs> one is probably fine for them to get by. So he takes these five orbs, and the way that he uh, combines them with some of his own essence, and the way that he makes sure that they will spread life across the uh, the islands, is he um, erects uh, enormous uh, towers, uh, which are sort of like pyramids, or like tall pyramids, maybe, um, and then. Be because you're Aridin and you have a strong Aslanti tradition, you think Aslanti stuff is cool, uh, you set them to sort of orbiting around the top of the, the towers like an Aeon Stone. I Aeon Stone, we used to call them Aeon Stones now. Um, like an Aeon Stone across the top of the tower. So they shed light like a lighthouse. And people are looking at it, they can see that they shed light like a lighthouse. The, the Isle of Cortos is filled with wonders. And so this is one of the things that, although wondrous kind of becomes the background. You're a farmer or a laborer, yeah, you know where the, I mean, maybe you use it as a landmark to get around because they're several hundred feet tall. Um, and maybe it's, you know, you think it's maybe helpful to keep the you know, bandits away because it's sort of like a lighthouse. Um, it can be helpful that way. Keep ships from colliding onto the rocks. Um, but for the most part, you don't think about it much more than that. And maybe after several thousand years, you don't realize that these are actually creating sort of the bounty that you've experienced sort of your whole life, your ancestors' whole life, and that sort of thing. Um, there are five of them. And if you could read exceptionally small writing on the map that Eric put up at the banquet last night, they're all, the locations of all five of them are, are on that map. It's Aeon Tower, Aeon Tower. There's, there's one on the Isle of Aaron, and then four more on the Isle of Cortos. If you look at the Isle of Cortos, you'll see that a lot of the verdant area is to the e or to the west part of the island, the Swordlands and the Immanwood Forest. Like that's where all the Aeon Towers are. The the eastern side of it is more of a rocky badland because there aren't any Aeon Towers over there, right? So it's sort of you can sort of see naturally what the effects of these things have been. Um, but because Aridan tied them to his essence a uh, hundred years ago when uh, Aridan died. Uh, they begin sort of to fail. Kind of, they're sort of slowly powering down, and the effects of the people people see is things just things just aren't as good. Stuff just doesn't grow as bountifully. Um, there's sort of a, a blight in the northern part of the uh, Isle of Cortos that's called the Welt that's starting to spread across from a swamp called the Dunmire. Uh, that's got sort of its own problems there. It's a uh, so it's there. There aren't a lot of people who are directly <coughs> correlating. This, this gradual ecological decline with those towers, but the PCs do early on. They meet people connected early on, and they realize that that's the way to fix it, is dealing with these towers. Stopping the Zolgaths who want to destroy all those, causing everything to revert immediately, bad news for people on the island. So even though you're not actually going to the city of Absalom, you're saving the city of Absalom from turning back into slime-covered rock, so. All right, but that's the Aeon Towers. 
goodness gracious, I hope none of my players are watching this. <laughs> so, uh, slight question about Ty Tyrant's grasp. So, uh, how shall I put this? You were basically say saying along the lines of the PCs will fight Tarbaphon, the Whispering Tyrant, the Witch himself. I noticed that you changed at least some of Erosny's stats in in the adventure path. What about Tarbophon himself? Uh, I mean, we do. I mean, do we have Tarbophon stats in the adventure path? Oh yeah, he's one of the three NPCs at the back of number six. Goodness, I hope uh, so. <laughs> Goodness, I uh, hope so. Yes, definitely. Yes, definitely. Um, the uh, yeah. So there's there's he's not only the stats from how it's presented in Mythic Realm. It, it is slightly modified from how he's presented in Mythic Realms. Erasne's stats appear in Volume 4. They are also slightly modified from Mythic Realms, specifically because if you look in Mythic Realms, she has a rapier and I think something else that were given to her by the ghost Geb, her sort of... Un, her, okay, uh, staff of the uh, Right, the yeah, staff of the magic. Anyway, so she's part of Arasni's arc through the Tyrant's Grasp Adventure Path is getting out from under her un, un, as the unwilling bride of, uh, of Geb. And so when she shows up, having, having fled Geb and with her own machinations, she certainly doesn't have the things that her ghost husband gave her, for example. <laughs> um, she's like a slightly different spell selection. Same, same with Tarbophon, you know, slightly different yeah, spell selection. Reflect what they're, yeah. Yep. Because she's okay. going to take him on. So, my main question was, is he differing from how he's presented in, in uh, Mythic Realms? No, is he, is, he, is he still mythic, and is he still have a high CR? Yes, absolutely. And are the PCs mythic? N no. Um, is, is that going to be a problem? Yes. They're meant to kill him. They're meant to yeah. hold him off long enough. Yeah. Yep. Um, so with the wondrous traveling circus idea, um, I know it's a different region, but are we going to get any sort of callback or similar flavor to the harrowing module? Um, not, I mean, yeah, actually, there's a little... My, my initial answer is not much, because keep in mind that the harrowing is a Verizian so tradition what, from like, a sort of a different part of the inner yeah. sea. But the answer is not no. Yeah, because, I mean... Yeah. Yeah, Verusia has such a strong traveling circus tradition and, and just a, a nomadic tradition. And, and, and all my local players just love that module. It's right. Every month. Absolutely. Who's going to run it for the new group? So certainly the uh, you know the traveling circus that the PCs are in in Extinction Curse is uh, you know they're definitely probably members from Verusia or they have rivals in Verusia. One of the coolest things about it, I think, is that they have you know a rival circus where a, a couple members of the circus are from this you know bad circus. They're like we got out a bad situation now we're a part of this good circus that the PCs are in um, so there's definitely space in there to uh, to tie it into uh, you know uh, harrowing and other circuses nice. um, it kind of you know nice. Absalom not just Absalom but the Isle of Cortos in general is a hub for humanity and people from all over the world come there so it definitely makes a lot of sense to have people from Verusia people from Taldor all over the place yeah there's new there's new harrow themed monsters and there's a, oh, yeah, one of the right. things there that's yeah couple, so yeah, anyway yeah, yeah. Yeah. Shows up a little bit. Yes, definitely. I'll throw in a couple questions here. Okay, uh, Twitch. Um, this is a little uh, question for for the behind the scenes. 
um, how long does it take you to prepare a new adventure path so that you can just just the outline of it so that you can kind of like pitch it as you just did with some of the new ones how long does it take to get to that phase man go ahead yeah so I just finished outlining assigning the one after extinction curse which we haven't announced which I can't uh, say anything about but there is oh, one after on. <laughs> there will be an My adventure path tied. there after, will be uh, that's yes. all I can say um, but it uh, that's how far in advance we work, right? Because that will be uh, at Gen Con 2020. So um, that should give you an idea of how long it takes to write the fact that we're you know already getting people are already writing that one and it hasn't even been announced. So it took me uh, about three weeks to outline the entire thing from. Uh, including conception, it probably was about four weeks. Uh, so we had a seed of an idea, and then uh, you know I uh, basically fleshed it out into a couple pages, presented that, said you know does this look good, and they said yeah, keep it going, and had to flesh that out into um, you know about twenty thousand words. The uh, the word count of an adventure path is something like three hundred and fifty thousand or something like right, that. Right, right. So you end yeah the outline ends up being uh, you know five to ten percent the length of the entire adventure path. Uh, that should give you an idea of how detailed the outline ends up being, and of course the uh, the writers themselves will have to send in uh, extended outlines, kind of detailing every encounter they want to include, that kind of thing. So it's uh, quite the outlining is quite the lengthy process because we really want to get it right at that stage. It's a lot easier to say, you know, to adjust things and say, uh, oh, let's not do that encounter. We're going to do that encounter later, or like that doesn't really tie into the book we're going to do next. Um, it's a lot easier to do that near the beginning than uh, with the finished product. So yeah, it takes about a month to uh, a full month to outline a six-month arc. All right. Um, next question. Let's see. There's several here. Um, you said that it takes ten year that ten years have passed since the uh, the last gazetteer, and now the uh, background is being updated with what has happened in all the APs. Will the background of second edition be updated regularly, and how would that happen? Do you know the answer to that? That's a little beyond yeah, the scope good, of APs. That's a good question. I think that is a little beyond. It's more uh, of an Eric question. That's an Eric question. <laughs> yeah. Eric? yeah, I don't. I mean, certainly, I don't, certainly, we don't have any plans to announce an updated version of our Lost Omens World Guide. But that's the kind of thing that it would would do. Yeah, I mean, I think I've heard internally that we sort of consider that for every year that passes in the real world, a year passes in Galarian. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. Whether or not we're how that reflects in what we print. Is to be determined. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and in some cases, it doesn't much. I mean, for example, Extinction Curse will occur in 4720 in the world because it's in, going to be released in 2020. Um, but the but the effects of Age of Ashes are are sort of assumed to have happened, but don't particularly play into the events of um, Extinction Curse just because they're so so distant in area. Although there may be some fun tie-ins with Extinction Curse and the the one after. Yeah, we've experienced or we've experimented with you know uh, updating the world as we go with like things like Shattered Star and Return of the Rune Lords. Those assume you've you know played through Rise of the Rune Lords and those events have happened. So I think we definitely have space to do that. Will we be updating? You know, we won't be releasing a new book every year. Obviously, kind of updating the world. That wouldn't be fair to uh, I don't think our fans really to expect <laughs> or, you to or with keep do, up. What's, send out a page of stickers and tell you yeah. where in your world Lost Omens <laughs> right. World Guide. You put the new stickers yeah, yeah. to overlay the text. <laughs> okay. Uh, for someone who's new to Pathfinder and Galarian, what's the stepping in point? What's the entry point? It can be a little overwhelming. Where should they start? 
I think the core rulebook is a great uh, uh, start because we've included, and I think uh, during the banquet they kind of showed that off a little bit, the uh, Galarian chapter, the Broken Omens, uh, or uh, Lost Omens chapter rather, um, which is a good primer. It, it gives you, you know, a very brief synopsis of each of the regions in the world. It gives you a synopsis of the different uh, people who are prominent in it. It's really like, it's, it's just a really quick read and a good jumping off point into Pathfinder. I ran into the same thing, you know, uh, 10, 15 years ago, you know, or whatever, when the first campaign setting book came out, I'm like, okay, wow, I have to read this whole book to get a feel for it. And now we've, I think we, we kind of lead people into it a little bit easier now that it's in the core rule book. And then if you're interested in that, you can get into the Lost Omens uh, world guide. And that's a very, uh, you know, uh, digestible uh, thing. Um, and then, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. With the Lost Omens World Guide, we're presenting it in such a way as to be approachable to new players, but people who've experienced the adventure paths are, are going to get it. Mm -hmm. If you're a new player who does nothing about the world of Galarian, but you read that there's this hobgoblin nation called Oprock in the Mindspin Mountains, you're like, all right, well, that's, that's one of the many nations that are there. And I see here that its leader is somebody named General Isaiah um, who's a leader of the hobgoblins. But if you played Iron Fang Invasion, you're like, oh, one of the options at the end of that was to not just obliterate her, but to sort of get her to stand down. That that must be what happened. That's what we've sort of you know canonized in the mm -hmm. in the world as having happened. So it's very accessible to new people to get something. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, more questions about just how the APs are evolving in Second Edition. Are the page numbers about the same, or page, do you know if they're expanding? Page numbers are exactly the same, uh -huh. but how we do the back matter is a little bit different. Yeah. Well, like as Ron alluded to earlier, we're a lot more flexible with the back matter. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to give away too many specifics, but we're changing because the they're still changing. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're you know changing the format in such a way that uh, you know, whereas typically we would have four or five monsters and two articles, you know, now we might have uh, one article that's one and a half times the length, or like um, you know, uh, several single page monsters. That way we can do the same number of monsters but have fewer pages, um, mm -hmm. and uh, that way we can devote more t space to the adventure as needed. And uh, uh, yeah, it's really, we're just a lot more flexible with that um, since the Pathfinder journal went away a couple of years ago. You know, that's given us more space in the adventure as well as back matter. So we're really just trying to make each volume its own, you know, uh, obviously it's still tied into a six part arc, but they're so customizable now that, uh, you know, you won't be able to say, for instance, maybe like on page 65, that's where the next article starts, but you will be able to say, you know, somewhere around this back, that's where an article is. and. Uh, yeah, it just gives a lot more freedom, uh, which I think will translate to um, more interesting uh, books, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I understand that, uh, sorry, Titan again. Uh, I understand that Extinction Curse, you don't have a huge amount of the outline there, but for the Age of Ashes, do you have what back matter is going to be in the Age of Ashes? In the outline in front of yeah, you? Yeah, no, we don't have it here, but we, we oh. know it. Oh. Yeah. That's, that's Patrick's job. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can, we, can we hear about job. it? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, yeah, so we have, uh, you know, uh, a good primer on uh, dragons, of course, would be a uh, fitting thing for that. So we haven't done any uh, dragon. Let's see, we've done we did the Dragons of Galarian way back in the day. That's a pretty uh, old book by now. So we wanted to kind of update the the lore and bring it up to speed more with what we're doing with Pathfinder nowadays. So uh, there'll be back matter info on uh, dragons as well as uh, gazetteers, which you've come to expect uh, on the various regions. That's kind of one of the cool things about jumping over. 
the uh, the inner sea in Galarian so much is that we get to you know explore those areas and in the back matter of some of those is you know gazetteers of specific regions that perhaps you wouldn't get to go to uh, you know uh, uh, immediately like for instance the uh, the Arcadia one Ron mentioned has a double length gazetteer of a nation in Arcadia which uh, is pretty pretty rad I would say are the uh, players guides continuing or are those being folded into the, the AP player guys, yeah, yeah, we're still doing those. Still planning on yeah. those. Yes, um, their PDF releases only, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep. just like they have yep. been. Um, yeah, we're we're still doing those. Uh, the format is still in flux. <laughs> well, it's well, it's it, here's a. I mean, the 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 harsh truth about players guides is as the AP developers, we want to provide a lot. We want to provide a lot of information to the players. We want to provide the new backgrounds, the sort of backgrounds of the, the regions you're going to be in, if there's any new rules, we want to build those in. But but as a free product that still has to find a place in our production cycle and it takes editor time and so on, the, the tendency is for those to be shorter, <laughs> which actually isn't bad because if you got somebody you're welcoming to a new campaign, you know, hmm. saying, oh, you want to come play this campaign? That'd be cool. Here's a 24-page player's guide for you to read. Um, it's it is maybe not the most welcoming mm -hmm. thing. So they tend to be shorter, six, eight pages. Mm -hmm. Okay. But yeah, we're still planning to do yeah. um, Are the modules going to be com uh, thematically similar to APs or separate to your knowledge? Going the modules? Forward? That was a question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, the standalone modules. Do those have a connection to the planned APs or are they separate? They, they, in, they are intentionally separate. Mm -hmm. It is important to us that the APs involve major issues, changes, or threats to our world. It is also important that the modules be uh, serious and important threats or uh, things, events that happen in our world. But the modules are a good place for those things that te can tell the story in a shorter amount of time than an entire adventure path. Um, so something that may have a, a, a of a serious but more limited scope um, if we wanted to do, and n none of these are on the board, but if we wanted to do something in the nation of Galt, maybe a whole adventure path from first through 20th level taking place in the nation of Galt mm -hmm. would be a little too much. But like a 64-page module or even 96-page module in the nation of Galt could sort of tell a good, solid, cohesive story there about something that something significant but sort of shorter in line. So the to answer the question, do the modules connect to the adventure paths? Much less so, intentionally less so, because they're telling their own sort of stories there. Is anybody, does anybody else want to ask questions? I don't want to take a second one. So I don't. Go ahead. I've got a lot, a lot more. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so come on in. All right. So slightly back to Tyrant's Crap. I'm reading through it. I'm reading through it. I'm planning on running it. My apologies. So something interesting that I noticed was was the approach to Arosni, because in many places, including the Inner Sea World Guide and Mythic Realms, which I'm going to be referencing to a lot, it referred to her as having embraced her her new form, having relishing in it, being the Har Harlot Queen with a harem of her uh, Grave Knight Guardian people. And suddenly in Tyrant's Grasp, it go goes on to say, yeah, no, she is not okay with that. That's an entire propaganda thing. I don't want to call it a retcon, but what exactly happened there? The uh, so the so an ad, an adventure path Q and A panel being sort of light 
lighter and friendlier is maybe not the best place to go into what the cycles of someone who's been so badly abused can be. But, but we're aware that it is not just, not just possible, but in some ways empowering to have someone who has had her life stripped from her and given the name the Whore Queen and be sort of a, uh, an unwilling leader in a land. It is possible for her to have embraced that as sort of a defense mechanism, but at some point become empowered to such a degree, she's like, no, no I'm done with this and I'm getting out. So, and we want to tell that story as part of our arc. So it was more like she had once embraced it, but she now doesn't, or she... had. I think there is probably a combination of she had once embraced it sort of sort of unwillingly, but realized that was sort of a, being in a hard place with a hard condition made her a hard woman. Um, but, but also the propaganda that you mentioned, of course there'd be no reason for anybody in Geb to, Geb wouldn't want anybody to hear anything other than the whore queen is a willing and, and you know, a servant of his. So once she's okay. here, or sorry, not the whore queen, the harlot queen, harlot queen. Um, but yeah, so getting, getting away from that is Arasni's arc. Um, I think more, more so than Tarbafon, who is a wicked man who gets free to do wicked things. Um, Arasni's arc, I think, is much more nuanced and, fr frankly, an important story to tell in the course of the Tyrant's Grasp adventure. I think we've seen um, uh, a persistent question here uh, about uh, the levels at the end of each volume of a, a, an adventure path. Like, where should you be by the end of each volume? Is that something that is going to be standardized from AP to AP or kind of maybe vary, vary depending on on the needs of a particular volume? I mean, we can say, I mean it is... It is it is wholly standard and entirely the same within two examples. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and even then we're not totally done with those two examples. But it's but the 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 first volume is for levels one to four, second volume is levels five through eight, um, and then levels nine through eleven, twelve through fourteen, fifteen through seventeen, and then eighteen through twenty. So if you look at it, you're like four four levels, then four levels, then three levels, then three levels, and three levels, and three levels equals twenty. Mm -hmm. All right, we've got about Five minutes left. Was that your hand sign there? A couple of quick questions. Uh, yeah, um, I know that uh, somebody asked about the how going to from one to twenty. Does it change the narrative scope of the adventure path um, from a storytelling perspective? I think to a certain extent. The I, I know, for instance, the uh, in the back matter of previous adventure paths, at the end, it's usually uh, you know continuing the campaign options for you know if you're level seventeen, then you just beat the the big bad. What do you do now? Um, you know that changes a bit when you're level twenty and uh, you're, you're you got your capstone. You're probably the strongest you know person in the land. Uh, you know, so I think we're focusing a little bit more on. Uh, uh, because a lot of people will end their campaigns at level 22, it's the natural point to end your campaign, the repercussions of the campaign rather than options for continuing it, uh, more like options for like, here's different ways for the GM to end it, you know, it's like, this could be an ending, this could be an ending, kind of presenting, um, rather than more adventures, uh, uh, good possible satisfying endings. Do uh, you think that's accurate? Yeah, sort of fall, fall out of the player success mm -hmm. is maybe a good way to, to say what, what it is we do. And that's because they're, they get all the way to 20. So fall out of PC's failure, I suppose, no, as well. Yeah, as yeah, well. <laughs> how, are you, how, how are you finding that second edition stat blocks affect the content that you're able to, to insert? Is it taking up more space, less space, uh, al allowing you to add additional material because it's less space? What are you finding? It, the stat blocks themselves take up less space, I think, generally. Um, that said, I, 
I have I haven't dug into the high level stat blocks yet. Like like with the first edition, we're presuming that those are going to be longer, which is why those higher adventures take fewer levels because more of that space of stat blocks. Um, I do want to mention though, more so than in first edition, we are working very closely with the designers for all the rules that we add and the stat blocks we do to make sure they get two two separate passes sort of mm-hmm. over the over the stat blocks and like to make sure that they're tying into what they feel like the rules can bear and sort of the load they can carry in the game. We've got a much much tighter cohesion in these new adventure paths. One of the strengths of second edition stat blocks too is uh, uh, they're a bit more flexible in that, you know, if we have a 20th level NPC kind of style uh, uh, stat block. It, we don't need to include the all the spells from first, second, third level. Like it does decrease the the stat block a lot when we can concentrate and say, hey, hey, here's the five spells it's going to use in combat because combat also doesn't last twenty rounds usually. Um, and you know we're able to say instead of like giving you know Tarpaphon magic missile, we can just say, well, you know you. Yeah, you can add those in if you want, but here are his spells that he's going to use. Primarily, he's Meteor Swarm. Right, yeah, exactly. We tighten it up. Yeah. Right, yeah. It allows us to tighten it up, and, you know, uh, another example is if a monster doesn't have languages, we just cut the languages line. That saves a whole line. That actually does, uh, you know, if there's, yeah, if there's 10 monsters that don't have languages, that's 10 lines. That's, you know, a couple hundred words. Any other questions from the room? Okay. I've I got do you. have one, but it's more akin to the stat block stuff, which is probably this isn't. We can, the we can catch up after. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, there's a little bit of a lot, a lot of chat um, here about, that I'm looking at about Kingmaker, mm-hmm. about um, that style of adventure, um, converting from first to second edition. It's it's kind of wide ranging, and if there was uh, something that you'd like to see converted from the past into the into mm-hmm. second edition, what would you like that to be? I mean, some of these questions I can kind of answer in text because I know the answers, and I'll get right, back to them. Right, yeah. But uh, you know what what is it that um, uh, that you inspire that, that you'd like to see converted? What it, you know what, uh, what what do you like? Is there anything uh, that you want to share about the Kingmaker campaign that that it was personally memorable to you? Or I think baking in the downtime system from the get go <coughs> is a really uh, is is a strength of the new edition. Um, now that it's you know uh, an assumed um, standard, you know, and codifying it in such a way that activities take certain amounts of uh, downtime. You know, uh, I think that will definitely play into Kingmaker to a large extent because so much of that is about kingdom building, and uh, it will augment those rules, really synergize really well. I think syst- uh, APs with those kinds of systems, for instance, um, Skull and Shackles is a good example because you're sailing around on a pirate ship. Um, that would be, you know, that would benefit from a downtime system. Um, I personally, you know, one of my favorites is Giant Slayer. Having written the first one, uh, that was a lot of fun, and I wouldn't mind seeing uh, Giant Slayer again. I know uh, Glass Cannon is also having a hoot with that, and um, yeah, it's just a fun AP. <laughs> but, yeah, know. I like I like Kingmaker. If you were to tell me, hey, which which of the APs would you want to see converted over to Second Edition? I probably said no, top of my list would have been would have been Kingmaker. Yeah. yeah, so great. Okay, great. That's I think all we have time for today. Thank you, gentlemen. All right, thank you. Thanks much, everybody.